Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 13 as we continue looking at the divided nation. Uh, of course, when we read the word Israel, we know that's the northern tribes that had followed Jeroboam, um, uh, 11 <laughs> tribes. And then when we see Judah, we know that's the southern tribe that Jerusalem is in, uh, the city of David, all those things are going to be there. When we closed in our last lesson, though, we seen that the servants of Joash rose up and formed a conspiracy and killed him. He, you know, when we go into Second Chronicles, we see that he was already injured by the uh, Syrians coming and attacking. Uh, but what did he do? He gave all of his money away to uh, Hazel. Uh, and Hadad, he gave, uh, the king of Syria, he gave all of his riches and he tried to buy peace the wrong way. Well, what happened? He started out so good. Remember, he was born in the, or born and hidden in the temple. He was living in the temple for six years and, and Jehoiada took care of him and, and the high priest. And we see that his life went well. He, he, he allowed the high priest to pick his wives. He allowed the high priest to pick everything for him. And the high priest was giving him instruction. And when he ceased listening to instruction, he went astray. But as long as he listens to the high priest. So we see that he started very well. He stopped listening and he died. How sad of a commentary that he didn't just die, but they murdered him. And he had stopped following God. He had become completely apostate, doing his own thing. Uh, and here's a guy that he repaired the house of God. He took over. He, he told the, the high priest, I'm going to do this. And he began to re repair the house of God. Listen to me. We have a, a, a testimony here that is the type of, that would give us our New Testament theology of Christ coming and dying for us. And if we listen to that high priest that we have forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, he rose again. He became a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And if we listen to his instruction, he will continue to wash and cleanse us. He will continue to sanctify us. He will continue to give us life. It doesn't mean that we will not have heartache. It doesn't mean that we will not have pain. It doesn't mean that things will not happen to help reprove us and correct us and purify us and help us to be a witness and give testimony of the goodness of God by how we go through it. But it does mean that as long as we listen to instruction, we have life. And we can enter in and cross the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And we can teach and train and disciple others in the way to go and we don't have to end where our very own servants would rise up and kill us cut our heads off because they don't want to listen to the witness so as we move in he started well and he didn't finish well you and i would like to finish well we want to hear the high priest john 10 27 jesus our high priest said my sheep Hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Are you hearing his voice? Are you listening to the instruction? Are you surrendering in a way where you humble yourself and you want to obey that instruction? The Holy Spirit can give you ears to hear. The Holy Spirit can give you 
power to obey and and uh, you can be led and counseled and instructed by the Spirit of God. Thirteen one. As we continue through, now we're going to shift from uh, the southern tribe of Judah. We're going to jump back to the northern tribe. What's going on there? In the 23rd year of Joash, in other words, Joash, remember, he was on the throne for 40 years. How was his life judged? Number 40 is number judgment. He was murdered. Death culture got him because he quit listening to instruction. 40 years. But in the 23rd year of Joash, now remember, why is that important? It was the 23rd year, if you were looking at 12.6, when he realized that they weren't repairing the temple. The priests weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And Joash, as king then, still listening to Jehoiada, decided that he was going to take matter in his own hand, make it personal, and begin to repair God's temple. When you begin to make it personal and you ask the Holy Spirit or the high priest to instruct you, you can begin to repair your temple. But if you cease listening to the instructions of the repair, you will go astray. So in the 23rd year, when he began to do that, Joash is uh, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah. Jehoaz, the son of Jehu, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. Now listen. Remember Jehu, God called him out of nowhere. He came in and he destroyed uh, uh, the, the both kings. He killed both the northern king and the southern king. And then he tried to destroy all of Baal worship by burning down the temple and killing them all. We're going to see even in this text that he didn't get rid of the Asherah poles. But Jehu, and notice what, his son becomes king and he reigned. 17 years. I thought it was interesting because I'm just weird that in the 23rd year and 17, that comes out to 40 again. We're seeing judgment. Judgment. See, that's what the Bible's about. Sin happened in the garden, and then Jesus came and judged sin. He died for sin. He took our judgment for us. 40th book of the Bible. Matthew gives us the testimony of Jesus the Christ, his lineage all the way from Genesis, his lineage, and then his life, and then his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension, and now he wants us to allow his payment for sin to be on our account, and he wants to give us his life to live. So we see that, verse 1, uh, we know who the king is now, Jehoaz. What did he do, Greg? Uh, how was his reign, Greg? Well, the text tells us, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, what evil did he do in the sight of the Lord? He followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. How did that turn out, Greg? It made Israel sin. Who had made Israel sin? That's Jeroboam. Think about that with Jeroboam. Remember Jeroboam? He rose up against Rehoboam, Solomon's son. God was punishing Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived that wasn't God. He was punishing Solomon for Solomon going wayward in the last latter years of his life. And then coming back to God, he said, I'm going to punish you, but I won't do it while you're alive. I'll do it with your son, and I'll divide the kingdom. So as soon as Rehoboam, his son, took the throne, here comes Jeroboam out of nowhere. And he says, what part do we have with you? 
And he says, everybody that wants to go, let's go. And they left, 11 of the tribes. And then what did he do? He made those golden calves, two of them. One of them is Samaria and one of them in Bethel or someplace, I believe. And, and he didn't want the people to come all the way back to Jerusalem to worship God. He, he was afraid he would lose the tribes. So he set up some other places of worship that looked good. They looked religious. And people would go there and bow down to golden calves. And so now, about 13 times maybe, you see Jeroboam's name. And it always is followed with, who made Israel sin. They made Israel miss the mark. They made Israel turn from God. Now, now what does Jeroboam mean? The people will contend. Isn't that interesting? The people will contend with what, Greg? With God. It means, contend means, listen, I looked it up, Webster's 1828. Don't use any dictionary. The newer dictionaries, the science of, uh, of language, linguistics, they've really changed everything. They're redefining everything. They will, they will give you earthly, central, demonic wisdom. But you can use the 1828 Noah Webster's and contend means to strive against. See, Jeroboam led them to strive against God's government, God's authority, God's kingdom. It means to struggle in opposition. Let's take it to the New Testament. Let's look at the book of Jude. Uh, Jesus' brother, Jude, writes, half-brother in Jude, only one chapter in Jude, so we want to look at, I want to look at three and four. Uh, really, Jude begins to write, and he tells them why he write. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. It looks like he was just going to write to encourage them. <clears throat> then, in, in the spirit, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Listen, don't contend against God. Don't be Jeroboam. Come to faith in Christ and contend for the faith. Be on the right side of this argument in eternity and not end up in hell. For certain men, verse 4, have crept in. These creeps come in unnoticed. Nobody noticed them. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. They were Jeroboam's in godly clothing contending with God's instruction and twisting it who long ago were marked out for this condemnation now God did not design them for this they chose this they chose God makes us free will agents we can listen to the father's instruction or we can reject it and despise it they were marked for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, they turn it into lewdness. They say, just say a prayer and do what thou wilt. You can do whatever you want now. They turn it into lewdness. They crept in and they tell you some false gospel and they tell you you're okay. And instead of you having a personal relationship where you're being led and counseled by the Spirit, you believe the men and they lead you straight to hell. They make you twice the sons of hell than you were before. 
twice dead. We should be contending for the faith. How do you do that, Greg? You surrender to Jesus. You believe in his blood. You get in his word. You build a love relationship. You allow him to be the head. And you begin to submit to his authority. He's not moving. His instruction is always right. It's always good for you. His plan is salvation. He's leading you in the way you should go. He sent his spirit. He gave his life to redeem you back into his family. However, Jeroboam means to contend against God, to contend against all wise counsel. So back in our text, what happened when they continued to worship the gold calves? When they followed, they were followed means to walk in, to grow in, to march, to prosper, to pursue the sins of Jeroboam. To continue, even when they knew that the system they were following was wrong, that they weren't supposed to follow the gold cast, that they needed to turn, they wouldn't turn. Notice it says it there in the latter part of two, the very last line. He did not depart from them. Let me ask you this. Are you still contending against God? See, God sends his son to die for us. And if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto salvation, and with the heart, uh, excuse me, with the heart one believes unto salvation, with the mouth confession is made. I said that backward, didn't I? Uh, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, you get your right standing in your heart, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let me slow down. And so you stop contending against God. Are you still contending? Are you still fighting him? Are you resisting the righteousness that he gave you, the salvation that he's delivered to you as a saint? because he gives you a new heart and then we keep practicing the same things and we've messed up the new heart that he gave us we muddy it up we trample the blood underfoot and we don't allow the new heart to be sanctified and to grow and to go and to be a witness to the mercies of God to the grace of God to a life of faith in God as we walk and follow the author and finisher of our faith and so they continue to contend are you still contending or are you humbling yourself in his sight? Are you in his instruction book? Are you asking him for wisdom? Are you crying out to him in prayer? Listen, even if you're apostate and you turn, he will hear your prayer and forgive you. You just have to ask him for forgiveness and then walk in that. Now watch, we're getting ready to be given an example of it. I'm not confusing this. The entire northern country is apostate. Remember last lesson, Joash, southern nation. We know that they began to try to make peace with the northern tribes, and they're being sucked into this vortex. They're being sucked into this lie of false worship, and we're going to see in the next chapter, chapter 14, they actually completely get destroyed. But listen, listen. Joash, who stopped listening to the high priest, who is in the nation of Judah, where the Messiah is going to come from. Jerusalem's there, which the temple's at, and it shows the presence of God. He is under attack with Syria and Ben-Hadad and Hazel, and he gives them money to go away. He gets murdered. He dies. Now we have an apostate nation worshiping golden calves. The same people attack him, 
and they cry out to God, mm -hmm. and God hears them and delivers them. Listen to me. It's never too late for salvation if you believe God and cry out to God. But their faith was still not real, and God still showed them mercy and grace because their faith was just what we call foxhole Christianity. It was foxhole faith. It was only when there's a big battle, I cry out to God. But then when everything gets cleaned up, we go right back to doing as we've always done. And then when a big battle comes again, I cry out to God. And then he fixes it, and I go right back to doing. This is apostate faith. It's not a continuing in faith. It's not a continuing walk with God, building a love relationship with God. It's kind of like you're in a marriage with your, with your spouse, and your spouse says, you keep doing this. And then all of a sudden, you're the husband, and you clean up your life a little bit so the wife will quit nagging you. And then as soon as she quits nagging you, then you go back to it. That's not a real marriage. Lay your life down, husbands, for your wife. Wives will follow you to the end of the earth if you do. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to lay your life down and have a relationship where you're talking and reasoning. The wife is from your side. She's not to walk behind you. In fact, she's a type of the Holy Spirit where she's one that's there to help you and counsel you. And she knows you better than anybody because she's become one with you. Listen, we've got to wake up to this, people. The church is being duped. The church is worshiping golden calves. The church is listening to Jeroboam's and contending against God instead of building a relationship with God. So what happened when they followed? They continued in the sins of Jeroboam. They did not depart from them. Verse 3, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. That's the northern tribes, remember. And he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, all their days, all the days that they were there in their hands. And Ben-Hadad is really like a title. There's like Ben-Hadad 1, Ben-Hadad 2, ben -Hadad, it's a, a Haziel, I think, is their uh, uh, family. Uh, so what does he do? The anger of the Lord, oh my goodness. I was reading, and if you remember, do you guys remember the anger of the Lord when they complained against Moses over the manna? Oh, I mean, I, I, I'm amazed by it. It's in Numbers 11:20, and God said, it's okay, I'll give them bread for a day, I'll give them bread, they're going to have so much bread, they're going to eat it for a month, and it's going to come out of their nostrils. I'm like, that is crazy <laughs> that God would say that. But they're contending, they're complaining. Listen, when you complain against leaders, when you complain against people, when you complain against life, instead of receiving the rebukes of life, instead of receiving the chastisements of life, instead of crying out to God in faith to know how to deal with it in wisdom with what's going on in life, you're just complaining against God and saying that he's bad. You're saying he's not a good God and he's allowing you to go through things for no good reason. But that suffering and that pain and that heartache, he is allowing you to partake in the fellowship of his son Jesus who died for us and yea rose again. And it's perfecting you. It's purifying you. And it's causing you to have compassion and mercy and love upon others who would go through some of the same things. And now you can counsel them. You can share with them. You can be a witness to them of how God brought you through it and made you better for it. 
or you can keep on complaining until it comes out your nostrils. But God's a perfect provider. And I didn't go there, but that's in Numbers 11. Um, in fact, that's where he puts leaders at. Moses says there's too many of these people, and he says, I'll, here's what I'll do. You get these 70 guys, and I'll take the spirit that's upon you, and I'll give it to them also. And then you'll all be like-minded, and you'll all begin to do the same work. See, that's what Numbers is about, is counting the people, assigning the people to places, and everybody's got a position, everybody's got a place, everybody's got something they're doing in the body of Christ, in the congregation, in the wilderness, it's called. It's still an assembly. And all of them were doing what they were doing, not complaining. When you're complaining against it, then you don't show up with the tent stakes. You don't show up with the walls. And all of a sudden, there's no temple to worship God in. And that's why people are supposed to be in fellowship. We've all been called out. We're all going through a wilderness. We're going through trials. Three kinds of Christians. Going into a trial, in the middle of a trial, coming out of a trial. That's the three kinds. You might think that sounds dismal, but that's the way God perfects his people. You keep crying out to the Father. You keep praying. You keep asking him for wisdom. You walk it out knowing that positionally you're already perfect. Practically, he's taking you through this mighty wilderness. But you got to trust him by faith. you got to continue in faith. And even when you're not, just like these northern tribes, the king has led them astray. He's caused them to sin. They wouldn't depart from the golden calves and all their perversity of the instruction of God. They've given over. An enemy attacks. Just like the book of Judges. Remember the book of Judges? Every time the Philistines would attack, the people would go, ah, and cry out to God. God would raise up a judge, and the judge would come and defeat them, and then there'd be peace for a little while. And then they would pervert everything and go back to their own ways and God would do it again see God allows these things to come into your life he raises up enemies he raises up things so that you will cry out to him and build a relationship and see how perfect of a salvation how perfect of a deliverer how perfect of a father how peaceful it can be if you will continue in his instruction and not keep going astray in your heart Oh my goodness, what an inheritance we have. What a God, what a Father. And we keep fighting against him and contending. We're Jeroboam's at heart. So the anger of the Lord is aroused. He sends an army against them. And verse 4, So Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. For he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Syria oppressed them. Now listen to me. Israel was God's firstborn. Think about your firstborn. Do you want anybody continue when you're firstborn? Do you want anybody bothering your firstborn? Are you going to stand up, dads, and protect your firstborn? Pray for your firstborn? God is coming down. He's like, all right, they might have been doing bad. They were, they were apostate. They're worshiping golden calves. And look, this accomplished what I wanted it to do. They turned back mm -hmm. to me. They besought me, is the King James. And it's interesting, when you look that word up in the Hebrew, 
And I had to search several places because I was like, I, this word don't sound like it means besought. Now, it does mean to pray and to make prayer and to supplicate and humbly to entreat and beseech God. But the actual meaning of it means to be rubbed or worn or to be weak or sick or afflicted. See, when you're, when you're worn out, when you're in a place where you're being destroyed by the enemy and, and you're defeated, you're afflicted, that's when you cry out and God comes to rescue you as a loving father, a savior. So he pleaded, New King James, with the Lord and the Lord listened to him. Listen, even if you're apostate, even if you're the northern tribes who are contending against God, when the battle gets heavy, you can contend, you can contend and contend and contend, but cry out to him. Today is the day to cry out to God. Today is the day to plead with him. If you're afflicted, he will deliver you. He's a mighty deliverer. He's not against you. He's looking for ways to bring his banished ones back. But he wants you to stay in his house. He wants you to surrender and be sanctified and purified and become a witness of the goodness of God. You don't have to believe the lie and run back to the enemy. What is oppressing you? God sees it. Notice verse 2. The evil they did was in the sight of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He sees everything. Notice he saw the repression. Even when he raised up the enemy to come and attack them. Isn't it interesting how God has eyes? He's just making himself more like us. I think it's called anthropomorphic or some big fancy word. But he becomes like us. Just like he did when he became Jesus the Christ in the flesh. And we can see clearly that now he, he comes down and he's acquainted with our grief. He sees what's going on. He doesn't know. Sometimes he allows it or causes it to happen. So you will desire a relationship with the living God, the one who can take it away, the one who can save you from. Look what men do down here to contend for power. And the only one that can give it to you truthfully, freedom and power and peace is God. And look what men do down here to fight and contend and chase when we really just need to turn to the living God and cry out to him and say, Abba, Father. Because he sees. And now it's past tense. He saw the oppression and he delivered his people. He wants to deliver his children. He doesn't want to leave us out. Look at this, verse 5. Then the Lord gave Israel a deliverer. He released them, a deliverer. Now listen, the word means, the word Saul means to mark it. He marked it. It's interesting how many times the word mark is in the Bible. Uh, he saw this oppression, and he sent him, and it, listen, King James says this, a savior. King James actually says, uh, the Lord gave Israel a savior, Right? And so they escaped. It means one who uh, 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 to free you or to secure you. Oh, what the world kind of word is that? Remember, it's in Hebrews that Jesus is able to secure you. He's, he, he's, he's interceding. He's pleading. He's one that's acquainted with our grief, and he can come and help. He's an ever-present help in time of need. 
He's one that can rescue us and bring us to safety. That's what this deliverer does. And they escape from under the hand. Of course, hand, this is a different word than the one that closes. This is the hand that took the nails. It's the power. Hand is always power. This hand was the Syrians, the enemy, the liar, the oppressor, the one who comes to deceive. And it means his power. But this Savior came and took nails in his hands for you and delivers you so you can escape from the oppressor, the devourer. And it says, And the children of Israel, Israel means those governed by God, dwelt, it's where they lived at, in their tents as before. See that? See, this is a dangerous thing. Foxhole faith, foxhole Christianity, they went right back to as before. What was before? Following the golden calves, staying in their sin. They were resting. They were like, oh, yeah, God delivered us from the enemy without. But we still have the enemy within. The sin of Jeroboam, the sin of our heart. I circled the word as because, listen, this is what's going on now. So many people, even in America, are crying that we're going to get back to normal. We want to go back to as before. You want to go back to as before in rebellion against God? You want to go back to all the immorality that was going on? See, concede if we get free of all these things the government and the world systems and the demons are doing right now, we don't want to go back to the way things were. We want to cry out to God and continue with God. To keep crying out to God. To be delivered completely from the contending with God. Jeroboam, golden calves. To be completely delivered from the idols that are in our heart. Yet these, sadly, that were apostate, northern kingdom, have been doing it for so long. They were settling up with, thank you God for delivering us. Now we're going to go back to as we were in our tents in the wilderness and continue to contend against God. Doesn't have to be that way. See that verse 6? Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin, but walked in them. And the wooden image also remained in Samaria. Remember, Ahab put that wooden image up for Jezebel, 1 Kings 16.33, when he built the temple to Baal. It's an Asherah pole, the wooden image. Every time you see them in the Bible, and they're talking about cutting them down, they're cutting them down. You cut down wood. So they're cutting down these images. They're, they're actually phallic symbols. They're another type of a father that can create something. They're, they, they're, they're actually uh, long poles that could stand up and be above even uh, the heights of the temple. It's Asherah. The Romans called her Venus. God to make you happy. A God to make you content. A God to make you uh, 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 fortunate. It was a worship of a tree. We do that today. Cursed are those who hang on a tree, and we worship the tree instead of God. We worship the tree instead of worshiping the God who died for us and poured out his blood for us. We worship the tree and hang it on walls everywhere around our necks. 
good old-fashioned Asherah poles. Actually, in the King James, it says grove, because it's groves of trees. It's groves of poles. They call her Venus. They sing songs about her, Venus on a mountaintop. You guys ever heard that song? Or no, it's Goddess on a Mountaintop, Venus was her name. Asherah Poles. That song was popular when we were. Remember that? <laughs> You're not that age, huh? Idol worship. She's the female, female counterpart, really, of Baal. Uh, and, and again, like I said, it's tree or pole. We have them in our society, like the Washington Monument, these phallic symbols that, that, that are supposed to bring life. They're supposed to be that which would give life and, and produce life. And they don't. Only God does. Only God does. Only God the creator. He's the only father that can raise up a deliverer, raise up a savior. And when that savior comes and he gives us a new heart and he delivers us from the oppressor, we're not supposed to go back as life as it was in our tents. He gives us a new heart. We don't have to corrupt it again. We can begin to listen to his instruction, be led by his spirit, and we can obey him and can go out and be a witness and give testimony to his deliverance. And he'll open our eyes to these wooden images, to these idols. Yeah, the wooden images also remained in Samaria, the Watch Mountain. Samaria was the place where the northern tribe's palace was. Samaria means mountain, doesn't it? Watch Mountain. Watch station, watch mountain. Are you still contending with God? Do you have false, false foxhole Christianity? Only when there's war do you jump in the hole, cry out to God and say, Oh, I believe in God. Then he delivers you. And you're right back to the wooden images. You're right back as you were before. Right back on your own watch mountain, walking in the sins of those who contend with God he loves you he doesn't want you to contend with him he's got a great salvation for you and when that happens it's, it's, it's worse than you think when you run back because notice we're going to see this is a country you as a person as God does with a person he can also do with a whole country of people that are rejecting him and contending with him, you become weaker than you were before. Less likely to come back to him again the next time. Well, notice verse 7, for he left, capital H, God left of the army of Jehoaz only 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Now listen, so you become weaker. He doesn't have the army he had before. You don't have the strength you had before in your religion, in your power, in your might. If you continue on as the way you were before, every time that you reject this great love relationship and you only come with foxhole faith, you only come with crying out to God when there's a battle. Listen, praise the Lord, they knew where to go. Jehoaz didn't even go to him. Jehoaz went to his money. And he was supposed to be the nation that was still living for God. Listen, they become weaker. Horsemen, 
chariots, how many chariots you had, how many horses you had. Psalms 27 and 6, is that what it is, honey? Some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. The name, the character, the nature, the authority, the ability, what God is doing for a Savior. No, it's Psalms 20 and 6. There it is. Green. Just seen it in my. No, it's in 27. Sorry. 20 and 6. Psalms 20 and 6. Notice they're weaker. They're back at the same place. It looks like that everything's normal. It looks like it's the same. It looks like God delivered them, but they're weaker as a nation. I don't know if you know how weak our nation is, but our nation is really weak. Weak leader, weak people. They're, they're, all they're doing is chasing the money. We're not doing anything with strength. And, and, and listen, I, I, I'm more worried about your soul. If you're following this weak nation and believing these weak lies and you won't listen to the instruction of God and you're still contending against God, your faith is weak. If you have any. Made them like the dust at threshing. You guys know what that is when they thresh the wheat? And, and you crush it, and then they crush it, and then they throw it up in the air, and, 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 and the dust would blow away, the chaff, and then the fruit, the grain would fall down. And that dust, we see it when they, when they do the cornfield around my house. I got cornfields on all three sides, four sides. And they're harvesting that, and that dust just blows across. Come out in the morning, and your vehicle's got dust on it. But it's good for nothing. It's just blowing in the wind. What The army's good for nothing that small. When you have a big army coming after you, and you're getting weaker and weaker, because you're not building a relationship and continuing in a relationship, a constancy in the relationship where you understand that God loves you. He's not mad at you. The whole nation became like the dust, dust at threshing. And you know, there's people out there preaching right now of how we're going to be a great nation again and how these things, we're not even mentioned in eschatology. And we're at the end of the age. Where do you get that at? Why are you contending with the word of God still? Why would you tell that to people? To get them to put money in your tithe plate? Why would you continue to lie to God's people? Turn at God's rebuke and he'll pour his spirit out upon you and make his words known to you and you'll be able to understand the times that he's already written what's going to happen. We need to wake up, church. Now the rest of the acts of Joaz, Jehoahaz, Jehoahaz, you know what that means? Jehovah has seized. He's been seized by God. The rest of the acts, all that he did, and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehoaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Joash, his son, reigned in his place. Now this is kind of interesting because we're going to see now that we have 
two Joashes, one in the northern and one in the southern. See, and you got that again. It, it continues to happen. Uh, Joash means given by the Lord. Now, you have twos, and, and God is given, but one of them is false and one of them is real. One of them is Antichrist and one of them is Christ. And you've got to know which one, the north and the south, which one am I following? But guess what? Guess Did you guys hear the name of the deliverer? You didn't hear the name of the deliverer? He raised up a deliverer, and we're never given the name. Now, it could have been Elisha. Because we're going to see Elisha in 14, who tells, we see again where he tells um, Jehoahaz uh, to strike the ground because he's going to give him a deliverance uh, from Syria. Or excuse me, Joash, the king of Israel. Joash, when he becomes on the throne, he's the one that comes down. I'm sorry. Uh, it could have been him. But that wouldn't have been the battle with Jehoahaz. I get these names mixed up, so I'm sorry. It's it's not like they're common names like Bill and Fred and John, huh? You're not the only one. Yeah, it's real. It's really hard sometimes. So we, but but we're not given the name, and but we do know the name above all names, who's the deliverer, the savior that this is a type of, a testimony of, who will deliver you, and you can continue to follow Jesus, the Lord's salvation. So here then we go into verse 10 and we see that in the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Joash or Jehoash, both of them are the same thing. They both they both mean uh, given by the Lord, Joash, Jehoash, it's a Y sound, but I, we say Joash in the English. The son of Jehoahaz became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned 16 years. Now hang on a minute, calm down a minute. Because I'm crazy, minute. Um, 37th year? That only leaves three years left of Joash in the southern kingdom before he was murdered over here by his own servants. So these both happened in, as contemporaries. Both thrones had a Jehoash on them. And there was only three years left. I just love it because the three, three is always a big number. Uh, but it was in his 37th year. So for three years, there was the same king, north and southern tribes. Oh, what, how did he rule, Greg? Well, like his father, and like his father's father, and like his father's father. Who's your father? Is your father a great deliverer? Do you despise your father's instruction? Or are you receiving correction? So that you might be prudent. Listen, again, verse 11. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but walked in them. Once again, these golden calves. You know, that's the third time in 11 verses. Verse 2, verse 6, and here that they continued, they didn't depart. No matter what God did, they let their hearts be the same. It's an act of your free will. 
God is there. God has the power to save. God is a great Savior, a perfect salvation. He gives you his perfect righteousness, his perfect redemption. He will rescue you and give you rest on all sides. But you cannot continue to practice evil and walk in the works of your father. You have to let him be a father and receive those instructions. And even with Jehoash, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did, and his might with which he fought against Amaziah. We see that in chapter 14. We're actually given that over in 14. Um, 11, maybe, and following. 11 through, it tells us the battle. It's telling us a little tidbit about it here, uh, which closes off. He fought against Amaziah, king of Judah. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Joash rested with his fathers. Then Jeroboam sat on his throne, and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now notice this, and just a moment, give me some uh, time to develop this maybe. Um, Amaziah means that he's going to contend with and fight with. Jehovah is mighty. And then now we have Jeroboam again. We came full circle from Jeroboam who resisted Rehoboam and split the kingdoms. Now we've come all the way back through where God has given Jehoash and Jehoash names his son Jeroboam again because they're still contending with God instead of receiving his salvation. Now notice this. We've seen it at least three times in the text. One, two, three. Yep. Verse 1, verse 9, and verse 10 tells us these other kings reigned on their thrones. They reigned on their th I'm just bringing and pointing it out. They reigned on their thrones. They continued to walk. They continued to do. They didn't depart from Jeroboam. They continued to, to, to contend with God. But then it just says that this new Jeroboam, all he did was sit on his throne. Does that mean that he was taken over and in control of his sin? Does that mean he didn't even get a reign? He just had to sit in it. I don't know. He didn't have any choice anymore. And Joash and Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. That you know, Samaria, of course, again is your watch mountain. It's your uh, it's your um, false place of reigning. But it just says he sat on his throne. Are you sitting on your throne still? Are you contending with God still? Are you a Jeroboam? Or have you surrendered and humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord so that he can lift you up? Where is your life today, Christian? As we look in the Old Testament testimonies of God delivering even an apostate king in his nation, he can deliver you. But do you just want him to deliver you out of the problems that he's using to purify you? And then you go back to living as you always have, walking as you always did in the flesh? Or would you like to walk in the Spirit? Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Walking in the Spirit is not some floating. It's 
asking the Spirit for wisdom, listening to the Spirit. It's building a love relationship. It's growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and surrendering our throne instead of setting on him so that Christ can be on the throne of our lives, so that he can be King of kings and Lord of lords. Are you still walking as you always did? Are you surrendering to God? Are you still worshiping the Asherah poles and the idols? Or are you surrendering to God? The great and mighty Savior has come to deliver us. Jesus the Christ. He's given us new hearts. He's given us new minds that he's renewing. He's given us new lives and a new inheritance, a new hope, a new home and made us new creations. And yet, we continue to contend with the Lord. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about the urgency about this deliverance and about the expectations of, of uh, the prophet of God, the word of God, the man of God, in us to surrender to God when we rehearse the death of Elisha. Once again, which represents the word of God. The prophet would bring the word of God. So read ahead a little bit. It'll be uh, chapter 13, verse 14, probably to the end. Uh, and read ahead a little bit and see what God would say to you. And let's enter in and find out what God is doing as he continues to sanctify his people and give us wisdom in the scriptures. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy. Help us, Lord, after meeting with you, not to continue to walk as we did before, but to follow you, the author and the finisher of our faith, by the power of your spirit, for your glory, for such a time as this. We give you praise in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you.